Welcome to another episode of 24 Minutes of UX. We are a global community-driven podcast series about user experience. In each of our episodes, we connect a seeker of UX wisdom with a giver of UX wisdom. Our seekers and givers are practitioners just like you. And just like them, you too can be featured on this show if you register on www.24minutesofux.com. We are your hosts, Jesse Anton and Peter Horvat. It's also worth mentioning that this podcast is a spin-off of our 24 Hours of UX event. As you might have guessed it, this is a 24-hour non-stop virtual event where local UX experts from all over the world share their knowledge. And the event is coming to you on June 9th of 2021. Check out 24hoursofux.com for details. But for now, let's get back to the podcast. Today's topic is ethics and UX. Whose responsibility is it to create an ethical organization? What does it even mean to be ethical? And what does artificial intelligence have to do with any of this? Stay tuned and you'll find out. Our seeker for this episode is Rebecca Parlin, based out of Maine in the United States. Rebecca has over 10 years experience in graphic design, but she's a recent graduate of General Assembly's User Experience Design Program. During her studies, she was fascinated with ethics and how design decisions can change the world for the better or worse. In her quest for even more information on the topic, she turned to our podcast for answers. And providing those answers today is our giver of advice, Dr. Sybil Poiker, a partner and UX architect at Zykes, a user-centered design agency in Zurich, Switzerland. What makes her particularly well-suited for today's topic is that she's also a university lecturer for digital ethics. Sybil is convinced that good design can make people healthier, happier, and even save lives, and has been the user's champion for over 15 years. Testament to the varied background of UXers, Sybil is a mathematician and computer scientist by training, and this knowledge comes in handy during her current work at the intersection of UX and artificial intelligence. Let's jump into the conversation about ethics and UX between Rebecca and Sybil. Hi, Sybil. It's nice to meet you. Hi, Rebecca. Nice to meet you, too. I'm excited to do this with you. Yeah, it's a very interesting way to meet, I think. I'm very curious uh, about your question. Um, I do have a first question here. Uh, Are you a believer that designers should have a code of ethics just like Mike Montero does? Uh, To give context, Mike Montero is a UX designer. He has wrote a book called Ruined by Design, and he discusses the importance of ethics, how people who are in UX should have a code of ethics like doctors and lawyers would have, because designers have the power to do a lot of things. Actually, I'm a big fan of Mike Montero. I read, I think, all his books. I also had the pleasure to attend a workshop he gave in Zurich a few years ago. So that was a very interesting experience as well. And also he has this very great quarantine book club and I had some very great sessions with him and other people. So, yeah, I'm familiar with his, you know, the first thing is this ethics code of conduct. That's quite an abstract thing. It's about the values of a designer. And for me, this is very natural. The things should be in ethics code of conduct. Just as an example, since a designer values impact over form, that's one thing he thinks should go into an ethics code of conduct for designers or a designer welcomes criticism or um, a designer strives to know their audience, things like this. And for me, this is a very natural thing because I started as a designer from 
a background with mathematics and computer science. So actually, <laughs> by training, I'm a mathematician and a computer scientist. Oh, wow. And like almost 20 years ago, I worked in Australia in a research institute and we did risk analysis for safety critical systems. And then it always came out, no matter how careful you program your software, there is always this human being. And if he pushes the wrong button, he will destroy everything. Two trains will collide or something terrible will happen. And that was my point yes. where I thought I have to deal with this uh, human being. So where I found out that, of course, it has an influence how the user interface is built if the human being makes more or less errors. And that was my entrance into the user experience world. And um, yeah, so for me, all the values Mike Montero puts in his ethics code of conduct are re like natural things. That are the reasons why I became a user experience designer. Then I think, okay, for me, it's like this, but for other designers, it's perhaps not because someone became a designer because he wants to make things nice and things like this. Should we have this code of conduct? like a thing for everybody. I think it's perhaps a good idea that you are at least aware what you are doing. And I think it's more about this awareness. I mean, Mike Montero does go much further. He doesn't only talk about the code of conduct, even about licensing. He talks yes. about perhaps we should even be licensed like doctors or lawyers. And I think this is a very interesting idea. I mean, the most important thing is that People who design things become aware what they are doing, and I fully agree with him. And I don't know if the, really the licensing is really doable in a certain amount of time, but yeah, it's a radical concept, <laughs> a great idea, nonetheless. Yeah, right? It's a great idea. Yeah, and uh, so I try to contribute in my own way because I'm a very missionary lecturer. I give lectures for computer science students, and also for like I don't know, for instance, I gave a lecture on recruiting systems for for uh, HR managers so recruiting systems and AI what are the you know what could be a problem with ethics with this and so I try to contribute my share to this vision to make people aware of this by teaching and educating my customers uh, my clients yeah that was very very insightful thank you so much for that response I learned about Mike Montero from my instructor Nick Anderson at GA. He actually brought me into the world of ethics through that. And that leads me to my next question, which I find a very important question. What, in your opinion, is one of the most troublesome issues ethically in the UX world today? I think, um, I mean, I'm in this business for, I think, 18 years now, user experience and user interfaces and IT in general, even more, even longer. And ethics became very hype recently. And I think this is connected with AI. Because, I mean, it's a very strong driver that ethics becomes so important because with uh, artificial intelligence, AI, it's um, much more difficult to see the, the consequences of your work. Yeah. So for me, I think the most troublesome thing is that people are not aware of what they are doing, neither the designers nor the users. <laughs> and so I try to raise the awareness that it is very important. Yeah, because it's um, AI, it's a machine, you know, and they're learning as well as human beings. And there is certain things that are going to pop up that you wouldn't normally think about, Yeah, you know, because it's not a person 
There are different patterns. It's just, it's a whole thing. Kind of what me troubles is that, okay, people try to solve it now by building ethics boards or something like this. But for me, I mean, most of the ethical problems are by accident. They are not intended. So, I mean, people want to be ethical and most companies want to be ethical. And it's just by accident that something happens what they did not intend. For instance, a good example is the recruiting algorithm Amazon tried to build. Perhaps you heard about this? That the HR department of Amazon, they built a recruiting algorithm where they tried to, which helped to recruit new uh, employees. Did you hear about this? Oh, I have not heard about that. Because that's a very interesting story because they built this with artificial intelligence and then they wanted to make sure that it's not biased. So they said, okay, we, we don't put the gender, for instance, into the data. So the algorithm does not know that it is a woman or a interesting. man. So it cannot be biased. Right? Yeah, because what about the non-binary? Yeah. It sounds like it cannot be biased, but it's not true. They found out that, for instance, when the algorithm taught himself or itself, that when, for instance, a person was playing in a women's soccer club, it can't be that good of a leader, can it? <laughs> and so they were very shocked at Amazon because they how can this be? We didn't want this. We didn't want to put bias in this algorithm. And then, of course, I mean, if you think about it, how did they train the algorithm? They took the old data, so they had already about very successful employees and, you know, what kind of lives very successful employees had. And of course, very successful employees were often men. <laughs> so <laughs> so there's, there are not a lot of women. So you cannot mm -hmm. expect when you put old data into a system that it changes the future, that it makes a better future from the old data. And this is something, I mean, if even the people at Amazon who developed this didn't know this from the start, they had to find out later, then This troubles me a lot. I talk so much about it because, you know, as a mathematician and a user experience designer, I can bring the things together and it has to do a lot with uh, user research and understanding users, but that you really think about things like, where do my data come from and what can I expect from this data set? Uh, exactly. Thank you so much. Those things that, you know, are things that I don't even think about on a daily basis. It's one of the things that companies now have to look out for, but you wouldn't think about that on the top of your head, that that would be an issue that a computer would have a mind of its own and do that. Mm -hmm. But talking about work, I have another question for you, Sybil. How would you as a designer defend what is right in a potentially unethical UX work project? And how would you go about standing up for the user in a professional manner? This is definitely a common issue that I have heard from some designers, especially that are new to the industry. They get into a company. They have this barrier. So that they don't dare or that they don't know how to do it or what barrier do they have? They don't know how to do it without it interfering with their position. Oh, okay. Like if there are higher ups that have different uh, views ethically on what is ethical. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in each project, you have different views for the first thing. <laughs> And also, you know, it's not always clear if it's an ethical issue or not. Sometimes it is. I, I give you an example. For instance, is it unethical to hide telephone numbers from users? I have to admit, I helped clients to hide telephone numbers because they. I said, okay, so we have to put the telephone number very prominently so that if anybody has a question, he can call or she can call. And then the customers, the client said, no, no, we don't want to do this because they call and it's very expensive. And you know, a, a customer call is a very expensive thing and you need big call oh. centers. Uh, the more customers got. So many clients want to hide their telephone numbers. Perhaps you tried to call a company and, and you couldn't find the number. So this, that's on intention. 
So there are a lot of other replacements in place. And so you send them to a self-help forum or you have frequently asked questions. And so kind of consciously, I told the client, so I think for the user, it would be best to do this. But then it was a business decision from the client to say, no, you know, we don't want to have it that prominently on the starting page. So is it? ethical or not for me i was a bit in a you know i was a bit yeah. in a position i i argued with the client but for me i think because of course it was it would be the better thing for the user but i also understand the business position that they say no but you know our products would be much more expensive if we have had big call center it could be call centers to maintain that's also not good for the customer if the products are more expensive so it's always a trade-off and sometimes it's really difficult to decide is this unethical or is this just not that nice uh, user experience. And I have to say, fortunately, I was never in the position that I had to think if I have to walk away. I think I would walk away from a project. When I think uh, I cannot in any way align it with my own um, values, I, I would tell mm -hmm. the client and walk away. But what I often have is this thing that I fight. I mean, I see myself since 18 years, actually, as an advocate for the user. So I sit usually on a table with a business person, with an IT person, with, you know, there are different things what people need on the project table. I'm always the advocate for the user and I always fight in the name of the users. <laughs> yeah. But I cannot always say it's about ethics. It's some often about ethics, but not always. Thank you so much. There's another question I had that's very similar and it has to do with unethical practices, which big tech companies have a lot of the time. Would you recommend supporting smaller or mid-sized companies in UX instead as someone going into this career path as a new designer, or would you say just, you know, go for it and just use your best judgment? I mean, that's a very personal decision, I think. And for instance, when you are very new as a designer, of course, in big companies with big user experience teams, you can learn a lot more. So when you go to a startup right after you graduated, you will be the only UX person. So you will all the knowledge about UX or about ethics will come from you. And uh, so sometimes it's better if you want to learn that you go somewhere where are more user experienced designers and that might be a bigger company. And but when you think this company does unethical things, of course, then, you know, perhaps you shouldn't work there. <laughs> you should always work in places where you think the other people share your values. Otherwise, you will not be happy probably but also when you when you're working i don't know perhaps you started at google 20 years ago when it was or, or 30 years ago when it was still in a garage and you are still there and you think some things google does are not uh, that good then it's not of course that you have to walk away perhaps you can also fight i mean it's always a very very personal decision i think of course you should not support um with your user experience you should not support companies or, or, or also business practices that do not align with your own values. But yeah, it's not always bad to work for a big company. I mean, most big companies want to be ethical and you could help them. <laughs> that, that was helpful. Thank you. I had one more question for you. Do you believe dark patterns should be illegal? Okay, perhaps, I don't know if everybody in our audience knows what a dark pattern is. A dark pattern is when you have a user interface pattern where you try to trick, it's, it's kind of trying to trick the user. An example is when you live in Europe, um, I don't know how it is in the US, but in Europe, almost all websites have this um, cookie cookie banner, you know, this, uh, we use cookies and do you agree with our cookie policy? And um, what is a dark pattern in this cookie banners is, 
that if the banner comes up, then you can either say, okay, I agree that you use cookies or I manage the, my preferences. And when you click on manage preferences, you usually get like a lot of checkboxes. Yeah, I want marketing cookies, but I don't want uh, location cookies or something like this. And uh, then there is a very big button. So the biggest button, the biggest call to action always is, you would think you, you checked a few boxes and then there is one big button. You click on this and you saved your, your choice. Exactly. Usually. But then when you look closer, you see that on this very big button, there is written, select all and save. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is definitely a dark pattern. And for instance, in Switzerland, it was Swiss Airlines who had it. Some of the very first uh, big uh, companies had this uh, dark pattern. And they also, uh, you know, they were asked, why do you have this? And yeah, you know, our users want this. And I, I think it's, it's really a dark pattern. But on the other hand, now the um, EU, they said that um, when you have this cookie choices, the default should be that no checkbox is checked, only the functional cookies. And so in between, it's still a dark pattern or at least a gray pattern. But in between, I know that, you know, the usually um, only the functional cookies are checked and all the other checkboxes are empty. And I just don't have to press the biggest button. I have to search for the smaller button, which says save my choice or save my preference or something like this. So people are going to, if the dark pattern comes again and again, people learn about this and people People, you know, people adapt and perhaps can avoid it. And so it's not really, I think it's good that the EU um, kind of regulated this dark pattern by saying, okay, the first choice has to be that the boxes are not checked, but still, you know, they couldn't prevent it to be a dark pattern. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's difficult to make it illegal. And also, you know, there are so many dark patterns and not all are like, you know, really crimes. I mean, a lot of dark patterns have to do with shaming, for instance. You know, shaming that if you don't uh, order my newsletter, then you probably don't want to be healthy. Or I don't know, this kind of shaming, you know, that they shame users into something. And I don't know if this should be illegal. It's very difficult to regulate it, I think. And so... I've seen that too, because <laughs> uh, there's uh, this app that you can learn a new language, and it has a little character. And like, we're sad to see you go. You know, we see the little tears coming off of the cartoon <laughs> character, and it makes you feel yeah. bad. It makes you want to go back to that app and say, "I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah. I didn't mean it. I'm coming yeah. back." <laughs> that opens up more questions. I appreciate your input as a new designer. This has been great and very helpful to me. Who are the allies to an ethically aware UXer within an organization? Um, actually, it could be it could be everybody. I think. I mean, hopefully, you work in a company where you think people share your values, and then everybody can be your ally because you are, as a user experience designer, you can point out to them. You can you can tell them, look, when we do it like this, there will be a lot of users who don't understand it and who will click this button without understanding what they are doing. We have to help them understand it. And so you are helping them to um, live up to their own values, and then they will be immediate uh, allies to you. And But if you are, of course, in a hostile environment where you think, okay, there, then you have to look up out for who could be who could be my ally but what also is what is also a good strategy i think is to convince people even though if they are not convinced at first that they want to be ethical or that they want to you know the user in the center they don't want this they want a big uh, return on investment when 
if you can show them that with your methods, with, with a good user experience and so with the ethical uh, product, that the return on investment will be there and that, uh, you know, you will have more customers and more, more returning customers. And so this is also a good strategy to convince people who are not on your site at first. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds pretty important to me as well. Is UX well positioned for leading AI ethics? This is a little bit off off the rails from what we were just talking about. <laughs> I think this is a great question because um, I, I love to talk about this topic because I think we are the best for leading AI. <laughs> so we as user experience designers. And the reason is that in AI, it's a lot about trust. You know, you have to trust the thing. You sit, you, you climb into a self-driving car and you go and you have to trust it. Why would you trust it? Why, why would you? And this has a lot to do with uh, mental models. So it has a lot to do with how the user thinks what the system is capable of doing. I mean, for instance, when, when a Tesla driver has an accident because he just didn't watch the street, then Tesla says, that's not our fault because he was supposed to watch the street. It's only an assistant system. And But the driver, he had the feeling that, the, that it's almost a self-driving car, a Tesla, that he doesn't have to watch the street anymore. And this is, you know, control between machine and human being. And also, do I trust it or don't I trust it? And so there's a lot uh, of talk about transparency and explainability. And who should explain it if not the user experience designers? Who should help the users to build their mental models about the, the AI system. I mean, we are very well positioned for this because we have to start, as you know, of course, with user research. We have to find out who are our users, in which situations are they using this AI system, what is their mental model about it. Um, so what do they think the system can do? And when we find out, for instance, that the Tesla driver thinks he don't test to take control at all in his car anymore because it's a self-driving car. We have to show him, no, this is not a self-driving car. And we, perhaps the interface is, lets him trust too much. And in other cases, perhaps people trust too little. And also, you know, all this thing with buyers and, and to find out if the data is biased. I mean, we as user experience designer, uh, uh, we would have found out, I think, for the Amazon algorithm, uh, Amazon recruit, uh, recruitment algorithm, we could have found out that, you know, of course, I mean, if you don't put women, as if you don't tell the machine that this is a woman, this is perhaps even bad. I mean, you cannot say our algorithm is colorblind and genderblind. That is very, very often people who develop algorithms say this because we put, don't put gender data, we don't put color data, so it's gender blind, color blind, everything's good. As we see in, in at the Amazon algorithm, it's not good because when we want to have a better future with more women and more colored people and more diverse people in management, we have to train the algorithms in a way that we say, okay, this person has a gap in, uh, you know, there were two years where this person did not work. Perhaps she had children to attend to and perhaps she is uh, still a good leader or perhaps she is especially because of this a good leader <laughs> and, and things like this so and i think we as user experience designer we have the methods to make those things visible and to explain those things and to help users build mental models and to have the, help the builders of the algorithms find out what their algorithms can have for consequences and for instance i because i am a user experience designer but i just founded the zurich chapter of speculative futures it's a worldwide initiative about um, future design so where people think about the future so that they, they think about what, what we are doing today what is the consequence in 10 years and 20 years 
and things like this. I think user experience methods are great for this. And you can make the whole world better. You can save lives uh, with user experience. And <laughs> so we can help people be ethical with this. And what I like about user experience methods and ethics is that, you know, it's a complete different thing from an ethics board. An ethics board is, you know, we talk about it, we say things about ethics, but it's not really doing something. And, and I, I, in my feeling, I mean, it's, perhaps it's a bit mean. I, I like ethics board. I think ethics boards are very important. But with user experience methods, you can really do things and you can change things and you can make things visible and, and explain things. And I like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Rebecca I don't know I, I talked a lot now I, I, but I'm not sure <laughs> I'm not sure if this in any way helped or if you know oh, I can, if you know yeah. where to start now or do you need more practical approaches or as a new designer I appreciate your input your time your feedback you are wonderful this will <laughs> help give me more foundations on how to approach things in an ethical manner, it gave me a viewpoint of things that I did not put in the front of my mind. So that in itself is endlessly valuable. Mm -hmm. I think with ethics, you know, you, you can talk long, very long about ethics, but I think you have to be there also with your own moral, you know, you have your own moral in your mind and, and this moral determines your ethics. So what, what will you do and what won't you do? And I think you have to bring this, you bring it, you have to bring yourself to the table or to the workplace and hopefully there's a very diverse team and everybody has to contribute something and you have to be true to yourself and, and try to fight for your own values and uh, try to make the world a better place with this. I think when you go with, it also has to do with gut feeling, not only with talking and theory. The recording of this episode was a great experience, bringing a really great conversation. So our thanks goes out to Rebecca and Sybil for bringing this topic to the podcast. And thank you, dear listener, for being with us. As mentioned at the start, our guests are practitioners just like you. And just like them, you can also be a guest on our show by registering at 24minutesofux.com. And don't forget to save the date of 9th of June, 2021, when our 24-hour non-stop event comes to a screen near you. Check out the details on 24hoursofux.com. And until next time, keep, keep calm, calm and UX on. This episode is brought to you by 24 Labs and is edited by Gwen Broad. <laughs>